Ring, ring. It's time for another episode of Crossplay Conversations, the show where we dive deep into the world of video games while keeping it light. I'm your host, Luke Lewis, and I'm joined by my co-host, the sneaker savant, Joseph Hooper. What's up, everybody? I said I would show a sneaker. Sneaker. (laughs) This is great video content for the listeners. Audio listeners, I will describe the shoe that Joseph is holding up. For so this, this video one is podcast. one of my personal favorites, all right? Okay. This is the Polaroid-inspired Puma. It has just this nice Polaroid touch down the it's center. It's like the Polaroid logo um, as the Yes, it has the Polaroid lip of the shoe. On, the, cool. on the bottom heel here. I just absolutely love this shoe just because, like, Polaroid has no business being a collaboration, a collaborator on a shoe, but I love it. It's a great shoe. It's one of my it's favorites. That, is that white or gray? I can't tell from the, it's, the it's light. A, it's like a gray suede. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. And rounding out the podcast, our third chair, you know him as the Wii U Wonder Kid. It's Jacob McCourt. Wow. You did it. Okay. You, I was like, you, am I the business boy? Do I ask, have to pull out a business ask degree? And, ask and you shall receive. You know, you want to change your nickname? You can. We can do whatever we want on this podcast. Damn. Thank you. It's great to be here. It well, it's great for now. I'm about to put you on blast. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, for listeners who are familiar with the podcast, we have we have a group chat. We chat regularly amongst the three of us about what we're playing, what, what's going on with us. Um, Jacob posted quite a hot take that I want to unpack for the internet. Everyone's entitled to their own opinions, but this is a particularly spicy one, so I feel like it warrants. You posted, I'm. Should I read it verbatim? You should read it verbatim because it was. I think it caught both of us off guard, Joseph and I. But you posted. I'd had two beers and was feeling spicy. Let's see. You said random at this is nine oh four p.m. Eastern. You said (laughs) random question. How long does it take for Tears of the Kingdom to be good? (laughs) Second message, as if that wasn't enough. Is it like five hours in this garbage first area before it's enjoyable? Ooh. So, guys, Uh-oh. I started Tears of the Kingdom last night because I was yeah, like, you know what? I, I heard. Yeah, I'm not going to play <laughs> Spider-Man because I haven't played the first one, so that'll probably be a next year thing, to be honest. And then, you wait, know, my wait, partner... Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. How did you not play the first one? Is that like a personal choice you... You made or like so how Luke did, and I were talking about just this jumped on. the time I, I just missed it and then like I, I own it I bought it for PS5 when the Miles Morales version came out and I just like haven't gotten to it yet it's like that and Sunset Overdrive are basically the only games by Insomniac I have not played I'm like okay. I'm a huge Ratchet and Clank stan yeah okay 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 someday maybe next year uh, and then I was waiting to play Super Mario Wonder with my partner because we're gonna play it together uh, so we'll probably start that either today or tomorrow uh, so I was like you know what I gotta play this goatee uh, bait uh, Tears of the Kingdom to see like how it is and not only does sp- spoilers for the first three hours of Tears of the Kingdom he just like casually loses an arm and is okay with it and then like the first area is sort of boring like I know it's like you gotta find your own adventure and you gotta discover the mechanics and whatever but like I don't know I was a little bit bored and I'm, ass- mm. I'm assuming that changes once you get out of the first area which last night I played about three hours and I went to my first three shrines and got like the first four powers and I'm about to go into the temple of time, I believe. Mm. Um, but I hope it gets better because I might bounce off this video game. I mean, first of all, first of all, first of all, uh, this is very much the intro. This is the tutorial. So I don't, I would never, I would never in a million years say this is the peak of the game or even close to the peak. So I feel like no worries there. I mean, but how drastically does the experience change? I mean, I guess a fair. I mean, Luke, what would you say? I think it does actually evolve quite a bit in those first it, opening hours. I think after it you does. Leave. Like, the t- I, I'm glad you brought up the phrase tutorial because it, it, to me, that section. Like, I think when I look at the broad scope of the game, I've played 50 plus hours of the game. That's like three or four hours, maybe five, because I, I explored quite a bit. But, like, once you things open up, once you have the total freedom to go wherever you want, like, I, that's the section I would, like, once you're 10 hours in, I would say, like, do you like it? And I hate to be that guy that's, like, you got to get this hours in until it gets good. But, like, to to my point that I made in our group chat, I don't think the intro is bad, but I, I can see how, like, you would be like, huh, this isn't hitting quite, a, this isn't as engaging as I thought it would be, um, that said, it does set up like the core mechanic with the ultra hand, the building, the 
kind of creativity, the mindset, if you will, that you'll have throughout the game. But obviously you'll have open environments. You can approach things in different ways. If you're frustrated with a particular puzzle, walk in the opposite direction and go do something else. So like you kind of control the pacing once you're in the full game. I will say I I did build a flying vehicle for the first time in like right before I finished. And I was like, okay, this is cooking. But the performance on my OG switch in the dock was actually wildly surprising how bad it was. Mm. Uh, Just like the frame rate when you did anything ultra hand would drop by like half. And Mm. even when there was a lot of enemies on the screen, I was just surprised it was like, and I understand that they're going for scope and there's a lot of systems at play. But I was sort of just shocked at how poor the performance was on it for a Nintendo title. Okay, look, I believe it. The I first hour of know. games is very important. I like, don't have no, that's, the. Uh, that's fair. I don't have the memory of like the performance because I haven't played it in a minute, and I think if I did have a memory, I probably got used to it in, in the first five hours or whatever. Because uh, you yeah, played on a launch switch or like I played on a launch launch okay. switch very much so, and uh, yeah, I I either got used to it or. Um, didn't see as many issues that stood out to me, but yeah, I believe it. Launch Switch, not very strong. I believe it too, but I played on my OLED, and to correct me if I'm wrong, but the OLED doesn't have like better processing power or no anything elaborate to it, does it? No. I thought it had a small bump. Uh, in battery, right? In, I think That's just it. in battery, and yeah. like obviously the screen resolution in handheld mode looks better, but like I don't know. It that that's interesting. It's I feel like I kind of have rose colored glasses with Tears of the Kingdom to an extent of like I absolutely adored it when it came out, and I want to go back to it towards the end of the year before Goaty just to kind of refresh my brain of what this game was. Maybe finally wrap up things because I didn't actually finish the main story. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. I'm I'm bummed that you didn't have a a stellar experience. I'm interested to see what you think it, if you keep going, but. To each their own, you know. I, I just, am going to keep the going. The spiciness of the take was what caught me off guard. Like, I think yeah. everything you're saying is very reasonable, but it was just like, oh my god, what's going on? Yeah, I think it was like really hyped in my mind, and so like sure. I maybe came in and I was just like, I'm going to be a spicy little bitch. Uh, and <laughs> look, I'm going to keep at it. My partner is is going away, so I'm going to play it a couple more hours tonight. So we'll see. Uh, ask me next episode how I'm feeling about it. Okay, quick update. Appreciate yeah. that. Goaty watch. I feel like games always have such a high barrier to cross once the hype has set in. Like, if you get to play it for the first time with everybody else, it's like, okay, we're just enjoying it for it is, for what it is, as everybody's making their opinion. But once it's gotten Game of the Year status, your expectations, like, it's, skyrocket. It's tough. And I feel like we had a similar conversation with God of War Ragnarok last year of, like, Joseph yep. and I, You were we were so hot on it. We thought the story was incredible. Like, we were mm-hmm. caught off guard by how much we enjoyed it. And then by the time you got to play it, Jacob, the following year, you know, <laughs> you enjoyed it, but it didn't hit the same way. So, yeah, expectations play a, a big part in things. Yeah, let me tell right. you where it fell on my list last year, and then we'll we'll keep going. I think okay. it ended yeah. up at number seven on my list of games last year. So, like, okay. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, 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 It's just, like, the story, especially at the end, maybe fell short of what I totally. expected. What was number one? Uh, number one for me was Neon White. It's, right. it's a good game. It's a good okay. game. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, let's – shall we head into our icebreaker question? I'll kick it over to Joseph. All right. All right, everybody listening. Good old Joseph is taking the reins today because we're talking about some fun uh, second party slash third party uh, video games. So starting off with the icebreaker to kind of set the mood to see where we are here. Growing up, what was a random new IP that caught you completely off guard, but you fell in love with it? So I'm talking about some random title, some tales of Vesperia where you're like, I don't know what this is. Let me try it out. And you ended up loving it. I'm going to toss it. Two, whoever has their idea in their head first. Raise your hand, gentlemen. I have uh, two. Okay, Luke is ready with two. I'm okay. ready. I'm ready. Um, the one that immediately came to mind when I saw this question was Dishonored. Mm. As far as a new IP, um, n- knew absolutely nothing about the world, knew absolutely nothing about the game, more so than just... It's a compelling stealth game made by talented devs who have a lot of experience making this type of simulation game. And 
I remember getting it. I think I bought it on launch. I don't know what compelled me to do so, but I think it was like hit at the right time where I was between games and I wanted something new to play. And I absolutely loved that game. I think it only got better over time. But even if we're just looking at that first game isolated from the rest of the series, I think that's such a special game that that type of game just really hasn't been explored by a lot of devs, even though it's one of my favorites. And I think the player freedom and the, the different paths you can take in that game. So cool. And for the time too, coming out in 2012, like it just wasn't happening in that regard. Um, and then the second one, I'll throw out a game called sleeping dogs. Have Ooh, either of you played yeah. sleeping dogs? Hell Heard yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Sleeping dogs is dope. So those who ha- haven't played it, um, it is a, it's, it's a grand theft auto style game, open world car, car jacking heist game set in hong kong but super cool like triad gang storyline really compelling martial arts combat that rivals like a sifu in certain ways kind of an arkham asylum type game with with combo based things but like really cool story really fun mission structure lots of variety also came out in 2012 weirdly enough that was like i i think that like end of the 360 era in hindsight was a very interesting time for new ips and devs taking chances but that's one that i think about that i'm like man i wish that game would get a sequel and another one that's like i had no idea it was a new ip everyone was like oh it's like grand theft auto but it's like it's so much more compelling and well executed than just a grand theft auto clone like it's a really really good game there's another Grand Theft Auto clone that is not Sleeping Dogs, but is similar. True Crime? Yep. That's okay. it. True that's crime. it. Yep. Streets of LA, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there was a New York one. Yes, also, there was. Maybe? Okay. I get those two yep. confused sometimes. So I appreciate you bringing that game up. Check okay. what's your game? What you got? Um, I've been thinking a lot lately about a little um, OG Xbox title that I played a crap ton of growing up. Uh, did y'all ever play Brute Force? No. I don't even know if I've heard of this Maybe game. at a friend's house. I don't think okay. I owned it. So that is a, like, Xbox game. Came out in 2003. The dev is Digital Anvil. They no longer exist. Uh, I think the team went on to do some stuff, weirdly, with Star Citizen. Weirdly Ooh, enough, there's, like, shared DNA there. But this is, like, a co-op third-person shooter where it's, like, imagine, like, discount gears of war sort of like characters okay it is the most b plus video game you could ever play but i just remember like the the single player being like of that era like your uh very much like third person action game linear story but then the multiplayer was super cool where the characters had specific powers where like some of them could turn invisible one of them had like a bull rush he's like a lizard looking man and he's got a bull rush that can like cause a lot of damage and instant kill folks it was just like another game that, you know, when we were having Halo 2 LAN parties, we'd occasionally like throw in brute force for a couple of rounds. Um, and I just, you know, I, I just think of like, what are the IP in the Xbox Game Pass family now that I want to see again? And weirdly enough, brute force is one of those games. Interesting. Very, very cool. interesting. Joseph, okay. what are you thinking about? Yeah, uh, there's one game that's stuck to me. Uh, for years, um, and it's a little game called Odd World Stranger's Wrath. Hey, um, I didn't know anything about this game, uh, and I just happened to be watching G4 at the time, and they did an episode of Cheat on it where they were saying, "Oh, you can do this, that, and the other." And I was like, "What the heck? This game looks sick!" So I eventually got it, and essentially, it's just like this: you're on this random alien planet, you play as an alien who is also a bounty hunter, and you just go around to different towns, uh, basically trying to catch these uh, wanted outlaws, dead or alive, uh, in each of these towns. And I just found it super fun, super humorous, very inventive with the gameplay. Like, basically, all of the ammo you use in your fights is live ammo. So you have it, like, in your little beast wrist satchel type thing and uh, you go out catch your live ammo and then you use it for special situations Uh, very similar to high on life Um, yes great comparison uh, odd world strangers arrive actually was more more advanced in that in that category Um, so and then there was also the ton of humorous writing and quips and jokes and like little secrets and stuff so absolutely love that game Um, 
hope to see it. I think it got remastered fairly recently, but I would love to see like a sequel or something or something even closer to the concept. Was didn't what's the new one? Soulstorm? Is that not a sequel or is so, that something else? I feel like that's never coming out. No, it, it, started, did. it came it out. Came it came out, like out two years ago. On PS5. Like, yeah, yeah like no, the, dude. In the first year of the PS5, yeah, it came out. Greg Miller's like in it. He's a voice actor in oh, it. I, I, I remember this that. was a whole thing. Um, yeah, basically, Oddworld is like a universe. So, like, the Oddworld franchise is like a whole di- Like, all the games, from what I understand, are unrelated. Like, Apes oh. Odyssey might be related to one or two, but I think I for see. the most part, it's okay. all unrelated. Yeah. I've never played any of them, but it sounds cool. I Stranger's Wrath, yeah, absolutely sick. Absolutely yeah, sick. that game bangs. Uh, yeah. I'm literally looking up Soulstorm. I'm shocked. I didn't realize it came out. I'm like, it, that game's never coming out. Yeah, well, that's why it was interesting that you brought it up. I didn't know they were like different types of games, or you know what I mean, or not like interconnected. I just assumed they were like pumping out sequels to these things. But interesting nonetheless. All right, guys, let's get ready to jump into our main topic here. Let's do it. And the topic is essentially what's going on with third-party gaming. What's going on with, we talk about first-party Activision Blizzard deal. We talk about PlayStation killing it with their studios, Nintendo being Nintendo. What's going on with the third parties? Because I feel like there's something of a great reset happening here where we look at this year, uh, and for the folks who might not be listening to it in the year that it released, this year is 2023. Uh, and there's a lot of conversation about this being the best year in gaming, like this year being unmatched. And it's interesting to see the studios that are kind of driving that force to to get this year the title that it's achieved. There are some familiar names, obviously, Insomniac with Spider-Man 2 just recently came out. Uh, everybody's playing it, enjoying it. Nintendo, Super Mario Wonder, everybody's been playing it. Uh, Final Fantasy 16, Respawn Studios, which, you know, is a newer developer on the block in terms of being the big dog, the the big industry leader. Uh, obviously, it starts with Titanfall, and people are like, oh, this is kind of cool. Multiplayer only, Titanfall 2 with the single-player campaign. Wait a second. Apex, okay, one of the best multiplayer games out. And now we're here with the Jedi uh, Survivor slash Fallen Order series. And people are loving it and it's starting to become a mainstay. CD CD Projekt Red, I can go on and on. But my point is that if you ask the same question last year or 10 years ago when you say, you know, best year in gaming, like who's responsible for that from a third-party standpoint? The answer, I think, would be vastly different. So I'm curious to have the conversation. What happened? Like what caused this (laughs) shift? And also... Who are the the new leaders in third party and how did they get there? Um, so before we kind of open up the discussion, I the the thing that kind of triggered this conversation for me is when Xbox had that huge leak where everything came out. Um, there was a Phil Spencer email that got leaked, and there's one specific like uh, email that was very interesting to me and. Is basically his thoughts on AAA publishers today and some of the struggles they're going into and kind of just like his aspect, his thought process on the whole industry um, in terms of like what's going on right now. I'm going to read just a snippet. It says, over the past five to seven years, the AAA publishers have tried to use production scale as their new moat. Very few companies can afford to spend $200 million in Activision or take two spin to put a title like Call of Duty or Red Dead Redemption on the shelf. The AAA publishers have mostly used this production scale to keep their top franchises in the top selling games each year. The issue these publishers have run into is the same production scale cost approach hurts their ability to create new IP. The hurdle rate on new IP at these high production levels have led to a risk aversion by big publishers on new IP. You've seen a rise of AAA publishers using rented IP to try and offset the risk. For example, EA. Star Wars <laughs> with EA, Spider-Man with Sony, Avatar with Ubisoft, etc. The same dynamic has obviously played out in Hollywood as well with Netflix creating more new IP than any of the movie studios. Specifically, the AAA game publishers, starting from a prescription from a position of strength driven from physical retail have failed to create any real platform effect for themselves. 
They effectively continue to build their skill through ag- aggregated per-game profit and losses, hoping to maximize each new release of their existing IP. In the world, in the new world, where a AAA publisher don't have real distribution, don't have real distribution leverage with their consumers, they don't have production efficiencies, and their new IP hit rate is not dis- disproportionately higher than the industry average. We see that the top franchises today. I, I am reading, is this a run-on sentence, Phil? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> that the industry average we see that the top franchises today were mostly not created by AAA game publishers. Now, I'll stop there. Very interesting stuff, man. It's, it's kind of like, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but the Great Reset. Like, all the biggest publishers, their, their Call of Duties, their Red Deads, we're not getting those. We're not hitting from the big hitters like we used to. So let's start what's what's going on all right jacob you i know you love getting into the nitty-gritty i know you love getting into the business economic side i have a legal pad here let me let me get your perspective on the the risk aversion and kind of the pullback we're seeing from the people that used to have some of the craziest creative outputs in the industry that got them where they are today it's now kind of seeming stagnant across the board in the higher ranks yeah, and before I start going, um, you know, you say the Great Reset. Uh, you may not want to say the Great Reset because you know it has some uh, weird uh, connotations. So but... That word is uh, stuck in my head, and you know, I need to go back and look at <laughs> my history books to make sure I'm not saying anything uh, unfortunate. Let's just say we're hitting the the reset button on the console. How about that? Well, <laughs> the console. No, is no, it's great. I, I'm giving you a hard time. No, it's okay, uh, I listened it's okay. to Sean Layden. He was on uh, a podcast. Um, with uh, Lucas Ed- Egden, I believe, uh, earlier. and Oh, yeah, Land Party. Yeah, Land Party, mm-hmm. thank you. And he was talking about his path at PlayStation and how development costs had ballooned over time. And this is something that we know, right? You could put out a PlayStation game for a million dollars. You could put out a PlayStation 2 game for $5 million. And that's when we saw a lot of risk, right? We'd see things mm-hmm. like Mr. Mosquito, uh, or you'd never see a game like that today. I don't know why I went to Mis- Mr. Mosquito. Classic. But- it's classic. Um, games cost a bunch of money. And the thing that's happening right now is, you know, debt was cheap before, right? So, you know, companies could take uh, big swings on games like An Immortals of Avium. When I think of EA, in a world where debt costs three times more than it did before, you don't get a game like Immortals of Avium. You don't get those big swings because of the risk that's involved in them. Um, what happens to third-party studios today? Uh, they don't control the pipes. I mean, they don't control like publishing, especially as it goes more digital. Uh, they don't have proprietary engines because that's U- Unity and that's Unreal. So apart from providing cash to developers to make games, what value do publishers actually give out? I think the answer is they don't give any other value. Yeah. But I'd, I'd be curious to see if you guys agree with me. Sure. Yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that, like, specifically the two things that Phil touched on in his email stuck out to me. The conversation about IP, pursuing new IP, and the fact that he brought up licensed games. And it's just really interesting, to your point, Joseph, that, like, we don't get games like the original Bioshock anymore in a sense of, like, that much money thrown at a rather pretty like philosophical story rather like pretty out there different weird concept like we're seeing that creativity in indie games like across the board but that kind of money thrown at a game and immortals of avium is a really weird one because like that game came out and it's it's odd to me that it happened we we don't get those like double a kind of triple a budget games outriders outriders that's a yeah that's a good pull of just like a new idea a new ip lots of money thrown at it and then in today's day and age i feel like we see those things happen and then when it ultimately isn't a commercial success we immediately see layoffs weeks after release which is super sad but yeah it's just i think it's sad that like 10 years ago i would have been excited by the prospect of a Ubisoft game, a new EA franchise. Like these things were like, Oh heck yeah. Like I, I support these folks and their track record is so proven. But at this point it's like, 
that's not really where I look for quality anymore. That's not really where I look for big surprises and intrigue. That's where I look for like known quantity of like, am I in the mood for Assassin's Creed? I'm going to play the new Assassin's Creed. Not like, am I going to have my world rocked by originality? But that's, I feel like a little negative. I do enjoy some of these third party titles we're talking about in modern gaming, but it's few and far between, I think. Yeah, I th- I think it's very interesting when we look at the big players and kind of the fall off. Like, I 100% agree with Phil's statement. Like, people are just spending way too much money to make these huge blockbusters and kind of, you know, invest in a proven quantity, which I think is ending up hurting. It's like basically a self-fulfilling pros- prophecy of like, Obviously, people are going to get stagnant if you keep trying to do the same thing for a decade. Uh, You look at Ubisoft and the Assassin's Creed franchise that they're trying to milk everything they can milk out of it. Then similar to the Far Cry franchise where you're like, okay, Far Cry 3 was a hit. So we just got to keep doing this exact same thing over and over again. Um, And even in some ways, you look at Call of Duty, you look at Battlefield, look at some of these mainstay franchises that just haven't really evolved that much. Uh, over the course of like a decade, um, even though they're coming out every single year. And it's kind of just like disappointing. Like like Luke said, like there was a year where we would get a, a Bioshock, which was like, what is a Bioshock? A Red Dead Redemption from a rock star. And you're kind of like, okay, this is a completely new experience that they're offering me. And now, like even this year, right? You look at the best, the best rated Metacritic games of this year. And they're all like, there's nothing really new here. Like we're looking at Tears of the Kingdom, which is fantastic, but as a sequel, Baldur's Gate three, uh, is that one's kind of a, a wild card because it, even though there's a three on it, it is I think it's a vastly different experience than Baldur's Gate two just because of the time between the titles. So I'll give that one a pass. Uh, but then you have like Metroid Prime Remaster, Resident Evil four, Super Mario Brothers Wonder. We, there's not really any title on here, and I'm I'm looking hard from the first party publishers that is like a wow this is something new and we we took a risk and we actually hit on it the only thing i'm seeing is hi-fi rush which is why i'm so stoked and so excited to see a game like that come out earlier this year where it's like hey this is a brand new art style this is not the super expensive granted i don't know how much it costs to make this game but seemingly it is not the super expensive we're gonna put everything in this game i would not be surprised if you told me Hi-Fi Rush costs as much or less than Immortals of Avium, which is another risk, but it's also very cookie cutter. And and I think that's another thing. I want your opinion specifically on this, this, this video game risk, because I think on one hand, we want developers to take a risk. We want new IPs. We want them to try new stuff, but also recently it's kind of a situation of, but but not like that, right? Like we we got Immortals of Avium, which I think is a fine game, but when that first trailer dropped, I think everybody was kind of like, okay, like Call of Duty with magic is, is you know that's pretty cool, pretty pretty cool, I guess. Uh, like, how do you guys feel about the risks taken? Because like I like you guys said, you guys were name dropping uh, uh, Sleeping Dogs and stuff like. Uh, Odd World Strangers Wrath or, or whatever. And even though these games aren't particular games that let the whole lit the whole industry on fire, I think they all had their own special charm that was like, wait a second, this game is actually fire. Dishonored is actually pretty crazy when you think about it. Um, so I'm curious, how do you guys feel about risk taking nowadays? Um, in my mind, there's a spectrum of publishers uh, out there. There is your very small niche publishers, your Annapurna's, your digital, your uh, Devolver Digital's, and then you have your enormous hold co's like Tencent, like you could now argue like Microsoft, and then you know we could do a whole podcast about Embracer, but we won't do that. I think you're going to get innovation from those ends where either they must innovate to survive because that's how they end up like doing well um, or they innovate because it's a thing that they have either on their subscription service or in their portfolio that is a you know is they take a risk for the potential for reward and if they have a portfolio of games if one of them fails terribly whatever it's fine I worry about the middle that you will get no innovation from there because when I think about publishers in that middle 
they always rely on one of three strategies. When I think of someone like an EA or like a WB or like a Bandai Namco, they rely on licensing. When I think of someone like a Take-Two, the second strategy they rely on is monthly recurring revenue. The third strategy I think of is being incredibly niche. Your Sega, your, I guess, Bandai Namco again. And they're all going to do the super safe thing. So I hate to say, like, the middle will be boring, but the middle's going to be boring. Especially now that interest rates are high. I Sorry, I, I come on every podcast and I'm like, guys, cheap debt's going to be the, the fall of gaming. <laughs> um, but here we are. Luke? Yeah, it's... I, I Sometimes I'm at a loss with some of these conversations, not because I don't think they're compelling, but I think it's just like... It's a known quantity to somewhat to Jacob's point of like, this is a reoccurring thing that we'll continue to address. I think about games like Dead Space, for example, of it, it was very successful as a new IP back in 2008 when it came out on 360 and PS3, was very beloved, and then just got a remaster or, or remake earlier this year. Also very successful, very beloved. I'm not sure how it did sales-wise, but I know critically it was very well received. Um but yeah, we're just at this point where like the devs have to bring back the the old exciting thing in order to be relevant and successful in this day and age. And it it, it just feels like creativity in that space is stagnating to it to an extent. And I think that's why we are seeing this push from devs to be open to acquisitions and be open to those conversations because studios like Tango Game Works with Hi-Fi Rush now have the space and the resources to be like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do something weird and different and cool. And I think it really paid off for them as a studio. Like I, I really loved that game and I'm excited to see how that affects other Microsoft studios. Hopefully that was successful for them and other first party studios get the opportunity to do that too. But I would love to see, you know, an EA studio have that same level of creativity. And I think there are a few exceptions. I think about like the EA originals program in recent years, like games like it takes two coming out and being a runaway success game award game of the year winner, that sort of thing. Like there is space for that, but it's, it's the exception, not the rule right now, which I wish it were otherwise. I think it's very interesting because like when I look at the game industry, which is still fairly young, I think there is a very clear cycle forming uh, that every developer slash publisher goes through where like early on, like when we were getting into the Xbox 360 generation, uh, the technology had changed to a point where it was like, okay, now the door has kind of opened for us to try a lot of new things. So that was what I consider like the experimental phase. And I think the interesting thing about that time period is that everybody got reset at the same time. So like everybody had access to this new tech. So like all of your engines that you were working on previously, all of the mechanics and stuff that you had built previously is kind of outdated immediately because now we are like in the age of HD. We're in the age of systems that can process just a lot more in terms of what the hardware is, is designed to do. So that's why I think we got a lot of the, the red Des, the Bioshocks, the uh, Assassin's Creed's, the like i guess like the evolution of the assassin's creeds and stuff around that time and based off of how successful those particular games were i think a lot of developers and publishers moved into the second stage which is the capitalized stage like okay we've hit bioshock let's get bioshock 2 and 3 and infinite out there let's get out red dead redemption i mean rockstar is kind of special in their case because the, once they had gta and red dead lock they kind of milked the online for well, until right now, it's in, until as of it. this yeah, day. Um, but a lot of those publishers were like, "All right, we we made our money. We can't like in to their to their benefit." Like, I think it's a sound strategy. You make a lot of money on one iteration of the game. I think it makes sense to get at least two other, you know, sequels to that game out and, and kind of tell that story and let that game run its course. But some publishers slash developers didn't want to like let go. And I think for a developer slash publisher to be successful, a game company to be successful, they have to know when to go back to the experiment phase. Um, I think that's why you see PlayStation in the place that they are now, right? Like they had their titles that, you know, were 
cool in the PS2, PS3 era. They had their kill zones, their Ratchet and Clanks, every X, Y, and Z. And then Sean Layden kind of was there when everything started over. When, hey, okay, Last of Us? Like, we're really going to push Last of Us. We're going to try Days Gone. We're going to try, like, Ghost of Tsushima. And you clearly saw them. They were experimenting for a long time. And I think they got really lucky in that pretty much every franchise was a hit and now they can go back to that iteration phase and, and kind of build off of those sequels. Uh, but look at Microsoft. They're now back into that ex experimentation phase where they have 20 different announced games and who knows how many will hit. But I think the third party studios probably because of the costs are very hesitant to go back to that experimentation phase. Um, so you guys can comment on that if you want, but, I now want to or move the conversation to, all right, what studios are now capitalizing on their experimentations? Like when you guys look at the new, like big names and third party gaming that could or seemingly might dethrone the Bethesda's that used to be the, the pillar studios that we look for for titles, the EAs or whoever that, you know, we grew up with over the past decade. Who do you think will be the names going forward into the next 10 years based off of what we've seen in the past couple of years? So feel free to talk about experimenting and that whole cycle. Uh, whoever wants to jump in can jump in. But I, I do want to kind of talk about the studios we think are going to take the helm. I will quickly say that there is such thing as bad experimentation and I think that some publishers, and I'll name names, tend to chase after the the hot new buzzy technology or the hot new buzzy thing, you know, thinking about online passes back in the day. Not exactly what I'm talking about, but I'm more talking about like the chase of NFTs of Ubisoft deciding to put NFTs in Ghost Recon Wildlands, but not really NFTs. And then Square Enix, despite... NFTs, in my opinion, sort of this iteration of it being so dead, yet Square Enix is still going to chase after it. And I'm just surprised that we haven't seen Genitor, Genitor of AI be a conversation in gaming like it is in sort of like general tech that when I when we say innovation, what we want companies to do is chase after like innovative gameplay design or innovative uses of technology that actually add value to players, not whatever hot buzzword is going to get them venture capital, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I'll say there. Who's doing it right? Um, I hate to like continue to talk about Devolver Digital, but I just think that they, their team knows how to pick winners. When I look at their portfolio of games, there's, there are very few games in there that have done poorly for them. At least from like a critical standpoint, they just know how to pick the right horses. Um, there are a lot of bad examples. Before I go to the bad examples, Luke, I don't know if you want to jump in and talk about other winners. Sure. Yeah, I I would throw out Devolver as well. I'd throw Annapurna into the conversation um, in the kind of more smaller indie space in terms of publishing. That said, Annapurna has had a few games in recent years that haven't hit for me personally, but I don't think they're objectively bad games. I think they're they're doing very interesting things and they're supporting devs who are taking those creative chances and risks that we're looking for. I think in terms of the the big budget third-party publishers, I think I have the most like interest and investment, like emotional investment, I would say, in EA. I think um, they have historically the, the best lineup. They've had some flops, but even right now, like I do love the Jedi series. I do look forward to these different licensing deals they have going with Disney, like that's where I would, you know, we have a new mass effect, a new dragon age at some point in the horizon, despite layoffs happening at Bioware and different things. But I think that's where it's like the most interesting. Um, other than that, I, I want to love Ubisoft. I have a very hard time loving Ubisoft with the way their company is structured, the, the horrible working conditions and toxic, harassment that has happened there and then on top of that just kind of that lack of innovation that we're really seeing in that studio i, I back in the once again i keep going back to the 360 area but i think that was just like a, a good barometer of like wow there's some good third-party publishing deals happening but um you know the kickoff of the far cry series really or with far cry 2 and 3 on console like 
Well, I guess for the original Far Cry is on original Xbox. I digress. Um, but games like that where it's like, to your point, Joseph, those those franchises that are now incredibly successful and we continue to see sequel after sequel, thinking back to when those started, that that's like, I, I want to see that again with some of these third-party publishers and I want to see them make the new, what's the new Dead Space? What's the new Bioshock? What's the new, and it, not those exact games, but just like that mindset. Mm. So I, I want to get a little bit more specific here because mm-hmm. behind a great publisher, I think there is always a at least one great studio. I think in the EA days, I think Bioware was sure. the studio that not only was making high quality and you know incredible games in the Mass Effect trilogy, but the rate at which they were pumping those out was incredible. Like we weren't waiting six years for Mass Effect Two to come out. Like it was coming out within three to four years. Um, and what comes to mind from the first party since like obviously is insomniac, the way that they're, you know, not only churning out Spider-Man's and different variations of Spider-Man's and Miles, Miles Morales and X, Y, and Z, but they're also working on, uh, Ratchet and Clank and, you know, changing the way that that game feels and experiences, uh, just two to three years apart from like when a Spider-Man releases. Um, so I know there have been a lot of great hits over the past couple of years. Uh, I'm curious when you guys look at the landscape, are there any developers that you think are going to just go on an absolute run uh, over the next couple of years? Because in a contrast, like I think of Larian just came out with Baldur's Gate 3, but it did take them, I don't know what, 10 years to make or, or whatever. So I'm not sure we will see another game from them uh, before the next console or before like you know the next kind of check-in on like how the third parties are doing uh so i'm curious like are there any studios that you guys really expect to start seeing pop off over the next 10 years or where we might get two more games from them that are both bangers yeah i I just want to make a couple of comments based on what we talked about before and then i'll I'll move the conversation forward do you guys remember and the era of electronic arts when they named every one of their studios either bioware or pandemic they literally renamed them all because those were like their like headline studios pandemic what What did they make pandemic was like the mercenaries people oh remember mercenaries back in the day i have a copy of mercenaries back there i enjoyed that game because of the marketing also involved in the OG Star Wars Battlefront games? Yes. Like the PS2? Okay. You're correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You're that's correct. what I think of them. Mm-hmm. Good memory. Uh, I wanted to shout out indie publishers that I think are doing the niche thing really well that we didn't talk about. People like DreadXP and like Easebird Games that yeah. are like indie publishers that pick like for DreadXP, they only publish horror titles and Easebird, all of their games have a very specific aesthetic that I think if we think about the the rung below uh, Devolver Digital and Annapurna just strictly from like a revenue perspective, those are the ones that are on the come up that I really love. Um, you asked what game developers were really interested in. Uh, I just want to know what the hell's going on at Crystal Dynamics. Mm, uh, yeah. I feel like they've had a lot of uh, stuff happen to them in the, in the last little while. A lot of projects being discussed. Uh, Marvel's Avengers, say what you want about it, but like that game could have been a lot different and i think if you didn't have crystal dynamics at the head of that it would have turned out very very different they have so many veteran folks they've been around for so long um i think strauss zelnick who i might have mentioned earlier who's the ceo of take two was the person that like brought them up Mm -hmm. uh so again everyone works in the game industry uh and never leaves uh which is great uh but i I just want to know what's going on at crystal d because yeah what are they up to that's an interesting one i recently about a week or so ago watched the no clip crystal dynamics documentary that mm-hmm. they put out and that was really interesting and to your point jacob it was interesting and cool to see how many folks started with the studio and still remain at the studio mm-hmm. or they had a lot of folks they called it like the boomerang effect where they left the studio to go do something else and then ultimately came back to to where they they started mm-hmm. there's that like sense of community there but yeah i'm interested in them too because i feel like that's a really talented studio that um hasn't i feel like since the tomb raider reboot and then they had avengers they haven't had their moment in the sun in a hot minute but i think that they're they're due for something special well, are they working they on a tomb raider game yes too yeah they've had business bs too where like I think they were part of Square Enix and then Square they Enix were part of the IDOS stuff and all then, of their North American right. studios and now Embracer. 
owns them and they just laid off a couple of folks. But to your point, they're working on Perfect Dark with Xbox and they're working on Tomb Raider with Amazon. So it's just like a weird time. I just want to know what's going on. I hope they're okay. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, Along that same note, I think mine has a little more positive tinge because they're on a streak of positive things. But I'd throw out EA Motive. As a studio, mm. I have my eyes on. Um, they did, for folks that aren't familiar, they did Star Wars Battlefront 2. They did um, Star Wars Squadrons. And then most recently this year, the Dead Space remake. Um, really talented group of folks. And I hope that coming off of this Dead Space remake that they're able to kind of have a little more creative leash and do whatever project it is they want to do, whether it's something in the licensed world with star Wars, whether it's another dead space title, but a, a new game that they get to build from the ground up. Cause I think they're really great at capturing a, a vibe, a style, and they make v- very technically impressive games that I think, um, that do hit for the, for the audiences that are interested in those to the, to the point of like quality or lack of creativity. Like I think they're innovating within the given framework that they're, put into but i i'd like to see them kind of given given more freedom okay okay joseph is uh, there an example you you think of uh there are two that come to mind in terms of uh oh yeah these publisher or these developers are kind of kind of titans right now uh one is from software which they've mm. they've, they've come arguably it seems to me that they might have re- reached their apex with elden ring and uh, I would love to be proven wrong to see like what next title they have cooking. Uh, but to see, and when we talk about experimentation, yes, they had Dark Souls 1 through 3, and they kind of you know worked on that. But they immediately after that came out with Bloodborne, which was incredible. And they clearly could have went to that monetization phase where they're Bloodborne 2, 3. Nope, Sekiro. Once again, knocked it out of the park. Once You have two franchises now that you guys can iterate on. Elden Ring, another franchise, and I don't know if I've seen any. It's really hard to think of a uh, a developer that has that incredible of a run where they switch up everything, game to game. Like the mechanics are switching, the art style is switching, the themes, everything is switching, and it's a home run every single time. Like I think From Software would probably be number one on my list in terms of devs that know what the fuck they're doing and have the potential to kind of run the industry and set the set the standard across across the industry. Um, the other one, a little more subdued of a studio, is uh, IO Interactive. Um, hmm. They've had their run with the Hitman series, but I think Hitman 3 was absolutely brilliant. So good. And there's there's uh, murmurs that they are working on. A, I don't even think it's murmurs. I think it was actually announced. It's they're confirmed. working on James Bond. And yeah, they're working on... Buddy another thing called project dragging whichever that might be and i think that also might be a good opportunity for them to like expand even more like yes hitman they've done that well like for so long but i think they also have the skills to branch out and do some really cool interesting other takes on some genres or or some uh themes or ips or whatever so very excited to see what those two particular studios look like 10 years from now yeah that's a great poll I love Hitman. Can we just we should do a Hitman podcast? We should. <laughs> we just play we should, man. I need to play Hitman three real bad. Oh, so it's so good. good. I yeah. barely even played it too, because like like I played the first level for like eight hours, and I was right. like, okay, this is great. I'll just keep yeah, replaying that. And I played the second level for like five hours, and I don't even know what the other levels are. I've only played those two levels, but I played them for so long. I got um, my dad hooked on it, and yeah, it's all bets are off. I'm like, Dad, so go try good. this. Go go so this path, this this playthrough. And he's like, oh, my God. Never stops. It's great. Any other stu- uh, publishers or studios that stand out in your brain? Because, um, like, when I look at um, Sega, I kind of think Atlas is switching things up I, and doing some interesting stuff. Like, they obviously have been, a tear, been on a tear with their Persona franchise. But they have that new – I guess it's not Atlas specifically. It's kind of like a – offshoot that had that new franchise announced at the xbox showcase i'm yes. blanking on the name but i'm like it's okay. a weird name i'm like okay that section of sega is definitely trying to get in their bag we also have like yakuza like a dragon which was completely a new take on the yakuza franchise that was absolutely fantastic so i appreciate i don't 
I don't know if it is one particular studio in the Sega, uh, under the Sega publisher that is dominating because Atlas, I feel like, hasn't had a main persona title in a couple years and who knows what the next one will be like. But yeah, I think they're they're doing the innovation thing where they are trying new things and it may be within the same IP, but like I, I really appreciate the stuff that's coming out there. Sega's such a weird case because they are almost three companies in a larger company where yeah. you have Atlas and their stuff, then you have their like PC strategy business that they've done with like Warhammer and Total War and uh, stuff like Heroes. Yeah, I feel like yeah, I didn't realize Sega. that was Sega. Okay. And cool, then they cool. have their Sonic business. So, like, they are someone who I don't really worry about long-term. And, like, they almost strike me as an acquisition target for someone like a... I don't want to say Microsoft, but, like, you know, they, they almost strike me as an acquisition target. It's folks like Ubisoft that I worry about. And not to continue to go back to this, but, you know, they have... <laughs> They have had a big struggle over the past 15 years. Just think about all the stuff that's happened to them, right? There was almost a hostile takeover that the Gimo family had to go to, like, the, the, the Canadian or Ontario Teachers Fund and Tencent to help, like, battle. And then they've had executives being arrested. Uh, and now they essentially have this distributed development model where they, like, have everyone work on one title and then another like when they come off that title they work on the next title that comes out so you know we have mirage that came out and then we have after that we have the avatar game that i'm i'm shocked is coming out this year i'm still i'm still thinking it might be delayed but i digress um but what comes out after that i just i just don't know and part of me Mr. wonders Persia. like when does prince of persia when does eve there you go when does eve gimo like finally throw in the towel and say maybe it's time for like someone else to take the helm because they're at risk in my mind because they don't have a recurring revenue game. They are highly reliant on IP that I think has, has cooled over time and they don't really do new innovative titles anymore. They aren't doing mm. UB art anymore. So if there's any one publisher that I'm incredibly worried will not exist in 10 years from now, it's Ubisoft. I just, Ubisoft CEO, Eves, he needs to step down for a multitude of reasons and just shake up that company in meaningful ways and give those workers better working conditions. But yeah, that said, I that I, I feel like in it, there's a world, though, if we don't have a Ubisoft in 10 years, studios like Ubisoft Montreal or those established folks, that becomes an EA studio. That becomes a... Uh, you know a third a th another one of these third-party publishers like i still think those teams would exist because i just think they're especially like assassin's creed far cry these games are so commercially successful that i don't see anything happening otherwise but yeah i don't, I don't know it's very interesting man like it is super it almost to me seems like these companies have like almost doomed themselves where they have expanded and they have grown because of one single franchise. And now it's at the point where, yeah, we have all these operating costs. We have all these developers, but nobody in the executive suite knows how to green light a good idea, or I don't know what the ideation process is like, but it's like, how are we in a point where Ubisoft, like the only thing that's keeping you guys above water is Assassin's Creed and maybe Far Cry. Like, how is that the case? It's been so long, and like you, where's expect, the Clancy verse? Like, in like, look at look oh, at yeah. even look at Sega. Like we just talked about. Like you look at Sega, and they have so many different things coming out from under that publisher, and they might not all hit. But it's like okay, like you have the Yakuza's, you have the Personas, you have the Japanese this or that or the other. There's Ubisoft, a variety like, there. That's there's a yeah. variety. Like Ubisoft. Like when we look at these these press conferences that they have and you're like this is really everything that you guys have been cooking like seriously like granted the new star wars game looks super cool and that might be their their last ditch effort to get out of the hole but i am very disappointed in the output and i think a lot of other companies got really really lucky because i think a lot of other publishers from that kind of gold rush era where everybody was capitalizing on their new hot ips they all got into the same position where they're like super huge multi-million maybe billion dollar corporations and there's they're not producing enough games to sustain themselves but 
Valve has a whole Steam store that they pivoted to. GTA or Rockstar luckily has like the GTA franchise. Sorry for that buzz. That was the uh, that was the dryer. That was the dryer. It wasn't like a it wasn't like a nuke warning or anything. Um, the uh, Rockstar has their GTA Online that's funding. They don't have to rush to put out a game. EA has their sports monopoly that they don't have to rush to you know innovate and have new titles. Ubisoft, unfortunately, is like the one kid who's like, oh, everybody's grabbing their stuff off the shelves, and like Ubisoft is like, oh well, there's not really. I guess we just have to use Assassin's Creed. There's no nothing else for us to take. There's no more slices of the cake. So uh, yeah, we just have to survive with this, and they're kind of the ones that kind of get exposed because of it but i think everybody else is in a very similar situation i think they're trying to like get out of the position they're in and i said specifically 10 years because they signed that cloud gaming agreement in for the uk <laughs> for xbox so like they sort of stumbled into some money which seemed yeah. like you know pretty easy for them to get and they're trying with ubisoft plus to get people on a subscription platform to get that monthly recurring revenue but i mean the, their pricing strategy in my opinion doesn't really make any sense and there's a world where they go to like a model like konami i'm not telling them to open sports clubs in japan and have pachinko machines but if you think of konami for the past five years they've literally just done licensing where they just mm. say you want to take castlevania you want to take uh, metal gear solid go for it but beyond putting it in your pachinko machines you can make a dead cells dlc for this and they get money for basically no cost um but ubisoft like I can't even imagine them being like licensing out Assassin's Creed to other studios or even Far Cry. Could they do yeah. more movies? Maybe. But yeah, I just, in the short term, I'm not worried. In the medium term, maybe a little bit, but long term, worried. Yeah, I, I think the one case where it looks like they were in the exact Ubisoft position and kind of got themselves out of it was the CD Projekt Red where... They got all of their money seemingly from Witcher 3, and it's like, oh, yeah, we're now a billion-dollar studio overnight because Witcher 3 specifically sold so freaking well, and now we have all these spinoffs and stuff. And they were like, all right, what's the next thing? Cyberpunk. And granted, I think all, their marketing did a lot of the heavy lifting leading up to that release, which you know, they probably sold way more than they should have on that initial launch of Cyberpunk. But as of today, seems like it's a pretty good game. Seems like it's a pretty good game, and now they have a second franchise, and they took their shot, and it bounced off the rim, and maybe there was a foul, so they got to reshoot or something, something like that. But they actually, they're they're in a good position. They're in a good position, is all I'll say. So, you publicly traded company too. Uh, they are publicly traded. Yeah, that's true. Which again, then you get into a whole like. Yeah, sorry, so I don't want to sound like a business warms. textbook, but I think everything changes when you're publicly traded. That you then yes, have stock shareholders that you have yeah. to satisfy every single quarter yes and if not then your stock drops your value drops and then you become a target for acquisition i mean over time like ubisoft in the last five years has lost 70 percent of their value because they're traded on Ooh. i think either the the french stock exchange of some kind but mm. even cd project red like with the tumultuous cyberpunk launch lost a lot of their value too that's why mm -hmm. like you know i worry about devolver being public but who am I? I'm just a guy with a microphone. Just a guy. All right. To keep this, to, to circle back on games, to wrap this thing up, if you guys had to name, what do you guys think the five third party, not, not single first party owned, third party developers who will be the, the new Bethesda rock star type developers going forward in the next 10 years, maybe leading into the next generation, who would you say, let's say three, actually, let's make it easier three developers that you think are going to lead the charge going into the next generation. Luke, let's start with you. I think you named the biggest one that I, I hadn't thought of until this conversation, but I think FromSoft's already there to some extent. Um, and I, I think they're only going to continue to be more financially successful post Elden Ring, having that kind of main, I don't want to say mainstream appeal, but at least mainstream like awareness, I think. So throw them out there. Wait, wait. Before you go, yep. I'll, I'll give you one more. But let's mm -hmm. all name one. Let's all okay. name one, and then we'll have a, a a joint circle of strong developers. But you can name one okay. more. Cause, Should cause I? I? No, I can leave it at FromSoft. That, I think that's the biggest okay. one that comes to mind. Jacob, who's yours? 
Man, can you go first? Because I'm I'm struggling here. Okay. To, to find one we haven't talked about yet either. Interesting. Because I, I definitely didn't name you second because I was still trying to think of uh, who I, I would put on my list. Uh, I can throw I mean, out one more. <laughs> yeah, throw, throw out another one. Throw out another one. I think Respawn's definitely in the conversation Ooh. as well as far as like consistent quality over the last couple of console generations. We're definitely seeing some innovation with new IPs. Even if Star Wars is like a known thing, I think reinventing the wheel with the Jedi series is very impressive. Things like Apex, like I think that's a very talented studio that doesn't necessarily get its flowers as much as it deserves. Okay. Um, let me just talk through it. Cause if I going off the heezy right now, I would probably <laughs> say IO has the most promising, uh, in terms of what I think could, could be possible. It's a pretty but, good three. I, I got it. I got mine. Okay. okay. G- give it. Uh, we have not talked about Bungie's importance to PlayStation mm. at all. And I think okay. that. They have such an interesting story having been acquired and then spun out at least two times and then or spun out twice and then bought three times. Mm, um, yeah. Being bought by Microsoft, spun out, bought by Activision, spun out, bought by PlayStation. Not only are they going to come out with great titles, you know, whatever the next Destiny is and then Marathon, which they are working on. Uh, I think they are going to be foundational to all of Sony's you know, multiplayer online projects going forward from a technology standpoint. So I just, I guess I want to give Bungie their props because we haven't done that yet. Okay. We we were talking about third party, Jacob, so you cheated. Damn it. That's a weird one though because like they were, yeah. I mean. So I'd say like half credit. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I mean, (laughs) I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Okay. Do you want me to come back? Do you want me to come in? Yeah. Uh, Deck nine. Hmm. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. True Colors was pretty fire. Yeah. So True good. True Colors was pretty so fire. So good. <sighs> who's the other dev that's tied in with the Life, Life is Strange? Because who's working on Jusant? That's a good question. That's the other I'll, I'll Life do is some Strange fact part. checking here. Jusant. I mean, it's Don't Nod, but isn't it just Don't Nod proper? Yeah, it is Don't Nod. Oh. Wait. Don't oh. Nod. Wait, did, is Don't Nod a publisher? Don't they yes. de- develop and publish? Or yeah. they have an mm. internal development and they publish yeah. too? Because they okay. they put out that other game, um, Harmony, The Fall of Reverie, mm-hmm. the yeah. like kind of visual novel style one that came out earlier this year too. You guys, it's game of the year, right? <laughs> yeah, to- totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. they're developer and publisher. So, ha. It does look cool. I'll, see, I'll give it that. I want to play it. But um, to close this out, it's very interesting because there's a lot of publishers i want to name like atlas or or um like just regular cap capcom with like who whoever, oh yeah whatever team Capcom's is making had like a really good resident year. evil we didn't but talk also about capcom like, at all this episode in I hindsight mean, let me think should i name capcom i i'll put capcom out there um because I, I was thinking is it capcom and io and i think the question mark is like Capcom has banked off of existing IP to kind of bolster their record over the past um, couple years. So it's kind of like performance enhancing drugs. And it's like, oh, okay, like Resident Evil 3 came out, but nobody really liked Resident Evil 3 in the beginning. So Resident Evil 3, when they remastered it, didn't do that well. So it's kind of like, it's kind of tied to how well their previous title had done. But I think overall, because it's kind of cheating because they own a lot of different IPs that they're putting what out. What's the dinosaur game they put out this year? Uh, Exo Primal. Yeah. Exo Primal. People that was said fun. they like that. Yeah, People it was fun. They liked it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll put Capcom. I think that they will definitely be a leader going forward if they keep on the pace. So who is it that we have? Who did you name uh, Luke from? So I said From Soft and Respawn. Mm hmm. And and I said I said Bungie, but I cheated, so I said Don't <laughs> Nod and um and Deck Nine slash Deck Nine. Okay, and then we're saying Cop Capcom. That seems a very that's a very ragtag group of people. Like when I think back of like the previous decade, I think Bethesda, Bioware, Rockstar. But if you look at the catalog of those devs, like we're talking about Resident Evil 4 Remake, we're talking about Street Fighter 6, 
Life mm-hmm. is Strange True Colors, Jusant, which the demo was fire, so I assume the full mm-hmm. game will be quite cool. Like, uh, on on my end with FromSoft, Elden Ring, Ar- Armored Core, like, a lot of bangers, and I That's think true. a lot of promise for the future. And a lot of, like, relatively to what they were expected to sell, commercially successful games that I think are viable. Okay. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. If people are listening, I'm very curious. Please find us on Twitter, find us on wherever, and let us know if we are missing out on any third-party developers that you think are actually going to pave the way for like this next 10 years. Um, because I'm trying to, I'm really racking my the, brain. The fact that we made it an hour in before talking about Capcom <laughs> ensures me that we're missing something, yeah, which is yeah. funny to me. Yeah. Oh, I got it. I got oh, it. I freaking got light it. Lightbulb moment. Love it. How did I not mention this developer? They're coming out with a game next week, and that's Remedy, baby. I love oh, Remedy. Oh, of course. Think, yeah. yeah. No, it's a great they're like They're on their FromSoft moment right here with Control, Alan Wake 2. I'm sure they got some other stuff in the bag. We haven't reached the Remedy Peak yet. Max Payne remake, which goes Max back into Payne that dipping remake. into their their bag thing. Yeah, don't that's... they have a publishing deal with Epic on something? They do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wake is going to be Epic. They kind of teeter in that second party realm, kind of in some of their publishing deals and like yeah. console marketing. Like I associate Alan Wake two with PlayStation just because of the marketing placement, even though it's available elsewhere. I don't know. That's just okay, a personal okay. thing, but that's a whole other wrinkle that's kind of interesting to this whole thing is like the third party publishers where they align, even if they're multi plat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, there he is. Luke, can you uh, can you take us out here? Let's do it. Closing out the show. We're setting our status to away until next time. But until then, you can do three things. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Crossplay Convos. Send this podcast to a friend because that's how people hear about podcasts. And give us a review on your podcast platform of choice because it really, really does help. And with that, listeners, have a fantastic week. Cheers and happy gaming.